thank you for being with us on this Easter. I've had a bit of a tough time with my emotions already this morning listening to some of the music prior to this service because our family happens to know personally several families who are recognizing just how powerful and important the resurrection really is. A couple of people that we know have lost loved ones very recently, one just 10 years old, the other decades older, but in the space of eternity, both of those lives were like the snap of a finger. And yet, because of what we're studying about today, and because of what Christ is going to be revealing to us today from his word, we have hope. And we know that he has conquered death once and for all. So for these families, this is a big day. They're celebrating in a way that we can't possibly understand. And I pray that if you have gone through some sort of a loss in your own life, that today is going to be a real special day because I pray that Jesus is going to meet you so personally in a way that perhaps you haven't even known prior to today. So we know about the story, a little bit about the story anyway. Jesus is our savior. Most people kind of get a clue about what Easter is about, the death, the burial, the resurrection, but sometimes there's a lot more to the story than meets the eye. And that's what we're gonna look at today. To set the stage, Paul Harvey is a guy who lived long enough ago that many of you all, because you're such youngsters, would not know about his rest of the story. But I'm old enough to remember going to school in college and having to sit in my car, hoping I wasn't gonna be late for class because I had to wait until the end of this segment. <laughs> because he would always build up some true historic fact or a biography of somebody, the drama in his voice, the timing, everything about it was compelling and you hung on every word. This segment was the highlight of my radio listening drive time on the way to college. Oh, we discover these little extra facts that he would throw in. Then he would pause for a commercial break, and then he would come back with the rest of the story. And there was more to whatever he was sharing with us than we possibly could have imagined. And it blew our minds. So here's a story that's kind of like the rest of the story, except to my knowledge, Paul Harvey never actually reported this specific story. Now, most of you, I wouldn't think anyway, would know who Hedwig Kiesler was. She was born in Austria in 1914. She became an Austrian-American, living and working in America for the bulk of her life. She died in the year 2000 of natural causes and was a relative recluse at the time of her death. Although you probably haven't heard of Miss Kiesler, the world would be a very different place if she had never lived. Hedwig improved the world because she was always tinkering and inventing, always trying to improve things, find a better way to do something. She shared one of her concepts about how to improve flight stabilization to the millionaire airplane pilot and movie producer, Howard Hughes. Miss Kiesler also invented a tablet that you could drop into water to create a carbonated drink. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. <laughs> Probably her most important inventive idea had to do with a radio guidance system using frequency hopping spread spectrum technology. And of course, we all know what that is, right? Yeah, right. 
Well, as it turns out, the intended application for this technology was American torpedoes. Using that spread spectrum technology, these frequencies would hop around and avoid the jamming systems of the enemy in World War II, which meant that if they had employed this technology, those torpedoes could have made it through the jamming and hit their targets. Unfortunately, the Navy didn't want anything to do with that brilliant technology. Why not? Because it came from a woman. Oh boy. Well, Miss Kiesler believed in her work though, fortunately. She just knew that someday her technology was gonna make a difference in the world. And it has. It's a good thing for us that she patented that technology because we're still using that technology today in Wi-Fi and Bluetooth systems. Thanks, Ms. Kiesler. But this is where Paul Harvey would have a commercial break and we're going to interrupt this program for an important announcement, in fact. So in keeping with the rest of the story theme, let me interrupt this story about the brilliant Ms. Kiesler to tell you about something that's guaranteed to help you absorb new information increase the awareness of your surroundings, raise your empathy level, and it's sure to help you get along better with family, friends, and coworkers. It's called active listening. Try some today. And now back to our regularly scheduled program in progress. This is the part of the segment when Paul Harvey would say, and now the rest of the story. Well, you have heard about an intelligent Austrian-born American who made a difference because of her brilliant mind. You haven't heard her full name, however. Her real name, full name, was Hedwig Eva Marie Kiesler. Ring a bell? No, it, it still shouldn't, <laughs> because that's not really the rest of the story. That is her full name, but it's not the rest of her story. But the, the name by which most of us knew this lady was Hedy Lamar, an actress who appeared in over 30 films over a span of 28 years. Hedy Lamar played the co-starring role in Cecil B. DeMille's epic Samson and Delilah. Miss Lamar used her stardom for good and in one 10-day period she raised, you ready for this, 25 million American dollars to help with the American war effort by selling war bonds. And that was way back years ago. So if you were to adjust for inflation in today's economy, that would be just over $350 million in one 10-day period. That's how influential she was because of her stardom. And she put it to good use. Well, a great deal of Hedy Lamar's story went underreported for a number of years, in fact. Quite a bit more of her story began to become known over time but not until quite a few years after her death. Well, there's some other guy's underreported story that we're gonna look at today. We think we know a lot about this guy's story, but the more we dive into the story, the more it dawns on us, huh, you know, there's a lot more to this person than meets the eye. The story I'm talking about, of course, is the story of Jesus, a first century Jewish teacher or rabbi. On the surface, we see a young, who was raised by a carpenter named Joseph, a God-fearing woman named Mary, and there's not really a whole lot to report in the first 30 years of this guy's life. But then, all of a sudden, he breaks onto the scene in history, and he becomes a sensation in a three-year 
period of history that changed the world. This guy became known for radical teachings that angered the religious leaders of his day, but he also became known for his miracles. Unfortunately, this same teacher died an awful death. He was wrongfully convicted as a criminal and crucified on the cross. His own people failed to advocate for him. They took off when he needed them the most. But then, incredibly, according to hundreds of eyewitnesses, this guy returned from the dead. I highly suspect that just about all of us have heard at least these details about the story of this guy named Jesus. And for anybody who's grown up in the Christian church, even those young theologians in Sunday school classes could probably tell you, oh yeah, Jesus died for our sins and that's why we can go to heaven. And that's good. It's great that they know that. It's good that all of us know that. That's the gospel. That's the centerpiece of Christianity. That's the heartbeat. That's why we do what we do. But there's more to the story. I'd like to take you on a deep dive into the depths of the meaning of this man's death on the cross. Now, there's a guy in our state, the Mitten State of Michigan, out in Grand Rapids on the west side. His name is Dr. Michael Whitmer. That's without the H. It's not Whitmer. Just for those who might be interested, he is no relative of our current governor. Michael Whitmer teaches at the Grand Rapids Theological Seminary, which is the theological training arm of Cornerstone University in Grand Rapids. Some of our own students have been there. And Mike Whitmer helps us understand the significance of Jesus' death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, through a picture that looks like this, the four arms of the cross. The upward arm of this cross points toward God. Through his death, Jesus, God the Son, satisfied the penalty of sin that had to be paid. God the Father has to judge sin and as the perfect judge, he has to punish those who are guilty. Otherwise, he wouldn't be a just judge. God the Son paid that penalty, thus satisfying the judgment of God the Father. There's a big name for this, a theological name. You ready for it? It's called the Punitive Substitutionary Atonement. Punitive, you can see that P-U-N-I at the beginning. That's like the root word of punish. It means punishment. Substitutionary, that's pretty self-explanatory. It means in our place. And then Jesus took the punishment in our place on the cross. But what about that word atonement? Well, atonement means that through his death, Jesus made it possible for us to be reconciled with a holy God. We have all been separated from God because of sin. And the atonement means that we can be reunited with him in a relationship a relationship that God actually desires. Here's how Paul, the apostle, describes what Jesus did for us on the cross related to this punitive substitutionary atonement. Galatians 3.13. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. And Paul also talks about this substitutionary aspect of the atonement in this passage, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. 
So we have this upward arrow pointing upward toward God. That's the part of the cross that shows us the punitive substitutionary view of the atonement. And it's very likely that this is the part of Christ's death that we're the most familiar with. Jesus died for our sins, and that's why I can go to heaven. And that's good. If that's all you know, that's enough. Because we don't have to know a real super spiritual, theological, mumbo-jumbo words kind of theology in order to come to God. He takes us just as we are simply by admitting that we need him. And he'll take us just as a child. In fact, we have to be like a child and trust him, even if we don't know everything. Then we understand that there are these two sideways arms of the cross as well. Romans 5.8 talks about one of them, and 1 Peter 2.21 talks about the other. The two sideways pointing arms of Jesus' cross remind us how much God loves us. That's shown in the moral governance view of atonement on the left. And these arms show us how much God wants us to love each other, as we see in the moral influence arm to the right. On one hand, the moral governance side, we have words from Paul in Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The moral governance view says that Christ, God the Son, suffered for humanity so that God the Father could forgive humans without punishing them while still maintaining divine justice. Somebody had to take the heat. They had to take the punishment. So God does it on our behalf because God the Son is the one who does the job. Since God is just, he has to deal justly with sin, and he does so through Jesus' death. That's moral governance. Then on the other side, 1 Peter 2.21, we have words from Simon Peter. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. The moral governance side shows us God's love for us. The moral influence side shows our love for fellow man. The moral influence view says that the purpose and the result of Christ's death was to influence mankind toward moral improvement. It says that Jesus' death was designed to greatly impress mankind with a sense of God's sacrificial love, resulting in the softening of our hearts, leading us to repentance. And that's true. It's God's love that draws us to him so that we want to repent rather than forcing something on us. Rather than being fearful of his punishment, it's usually his love that draws us to himself. But that still leaves one more arm. So we would say, but wait, that's not all. There's still more in this deep dive to the meaning of the atonement on the cross. This helps us get to the rest of the story. This particular arm, the one that's left, points downward. The downward arm points to the enemy of God, Satan, the devil. The early church believed that through his death and resurrection, Jesus defeated Satan, who holds the power over sin and death. Early believers called this view the Christus Victor, or Christ the Victor. That's this particular view of the atonement that has to do with Christ's identity as the one who is victorious over the devil. These early believers quoted Colossians 2.15, which says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And they quoted Hebrews 2.14 and 15, which says, therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood, 
he likewise shared in their humanity, so that through death he could destroy the one who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and set free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Those families that I was talking about at the very beginning, those who are realizing the significance and the power of the resurrection, they understand that their loved ones have been set free from the power of sin and death. They walked out of their graves. Their soul lives on and is in the presence of Jesus Christ right now, today. And these early believers who believed in this particular view of atonement also quoted 1 John 3, 8, which says, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. So we would ask, okay, which view is the right view? Isn't it just like us human beings to try to find the right one so we can be right? <laughs> Scholars have done that all through the years. There have been huge debates on these different views of atonement, and each of them would try to assert why their view is the right view. The truth is, though, Jesus accomplished every one of these things. They're all right. He fulfills justice without making us take the punishment. He influences us with his sacrificial love so that we want to love him back and so that we can love others the way he loves us. All these things are true, and they're all true at the same time. Just like Hedy Lamar, the film star, was so much more than just a film star, Jesus is so much more than just a personal savior. There's so much more to his atonement than the simple sentence, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and that's why I'm going to heaven. When we start to understand the depth of the atonement for us, we understand how much God did for us, and it's mind-boggling. There's no denying it that Hetty did a lot of good things in her life. She was a brilliant inventor. She was a film star. She influenced others and helped support the war effort. She provided aerodynamic improvement advice to Howard Hughes. She was all these things. And just as we've been looking at Jesus and all these arms of the cross, helping us picture what the atonement means, we understand that he is far more than just our personal savior. Some people treat Jesus as though he's their talisman, the lucky rabbit's foot. If you just say the right sinner's prayer, and if you're baptized, then you've got your ticket punched and you're going to heaven. We start to see the atonement, and it changes everything about our relationship with God and shows us that when we start to transform Jesus from becoming just our ticket puncher, he becomes our king, our savior, our Lord, the one who walks with us through the valleys of the shadow of death, the one who promises life and purpose even when things get dark. He's the light who lights our way. He's everything to us, and we want to live for him and with him forever. That's what happens when we start to understand the atonement. We can't capture all that Jesus is in one diagram or in four simple human comprehensible views of what he accomplished for us on the cross. His atoning work for us on the cross is impossible to completely understand. Dr. Whitmer wisely teaches that we actually do ourselves a disservice and we disfigure the cross when we ignore any of these four views of the atonement. He says that all four are vital in understanding the depth and breadth of Jesus' atonement. It's not to say that all four are equally important, but they are each important in different ways. 
The downward arm points to the goal of atonement. The goal of Jesus dying on a cruel cross was to defeat sin, death, and Satan. By doing that, he put in place the plan God had from the very beginning, namely restoring things to their rightful order. The upward arm points to the means of the atonement. The means for achieving this defeat was Jesus' punitive substitution. That's how he defeated sin, death, and Satan. The sidearms point to the different benefits of the atonement. Since believers in Christ are no longer bound by sin, and since they are not in bondage to Satan's control any longer, we who are in Christ understand because of Jesus' death on a cross, the incredible assurance that he's given us about his limitless love for us. And because we have received that limitless love, even though we didn't deserve it, it helps us understand that we can love others that way. And when we do that, we're demonstrating his grace so that they can see him more clearly as well. There are many details to this historic event called the atonement. We may know only a few of those details, but now this side of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we now know the rest of the story. <laughs> There's so much more to Jesus than we might have once thought. In just a couple of minutes, you're gonna see a video featuring the voice of a pastor whose last name is Lockridge. Pastor Lockridge is going to present a great number of attributes of Jesus. You're gonna see far more than a simple one sentence statement about Jesus dying for my sin. You'll start to feel, I hope, the majesty of a Jesus who is so much more than we might have imagined. A Jesus who is so much more than merely a personal savior or a ticket puncher. In these attributes, you're gonna hear about a God who loves you, forgives you, accepts you, gives you purpose, gives you eternal life. That's what you see when you see Jesus Christ as the victor. He becomes all that and more when you accept him and get to know him as my king. When you understand all that Jesus did for you on the cross, you realize that he has included you in his plan to restore creation. 1 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone, that includes you, is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. We heard that read this morning by one of our children. 1 Corinthians 5.17, isn't that a great verse? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. If you trust Jesus to be your king, then you become a new creation in Christ. The old has gone and the new is here. When you ask God to forgive you of your sins on the basis of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he not only forgives you, he also places you in Christ's body, the church. You become adopted into his great family, filled with brothers and sisters, all of whom are also learning what it means to be a new creation and to serve this King of Kings. When you ask God to forgive you, he restores you to your original purpose which is to live in harmony with him and with others who are tending to God's creation. That means that you, along with other members of God's body, the church, the family, then you're helping bring heaven to earth. Just as we would pray in the Lord's Prayer, your will, God's will, be done on earth just as it is in heaven. You, as a forgiven member of God's family, are helping to bring all things under God's control and authority. 
Eventually, we as members of his body will see what this means in eternity when we are finally in the restored creation that he has reserved for us as joint heirs with Jesus Christ, that place where there is no sin to damage or mar the perfection that God created. So watch now this video of Dr. S. M. Lockridge proclaiming the many attributes of Jesus as this becomes more of the rest of the story of the atonement. Oh yes, and there's a rest of the story associated with Dr. Lockridge's name as well. What does the SM stand for in SM Lockridge? Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. You see how that name ties in with the book of Daniel that we've been studying? Boom. Dr. Shadrach Meshach Lockridge was the senior pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego, California from 1953 to 1993. Oh, and here's some more of the rest of the story. He experienced his personal resurrection and walked out of his grave and into eternity in Christ's presence on April 4th, 2000, exactly 21 years ago today. So today we're celebrating Dr. Shadrach Meshach Lockridge's heavenly homegoing. So let's listen to Dr. Lockridge's voice and ask yourself, is Jesus my king? The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace 
look at driving So yes, he's indescribable He's incomprehensible He's invincible He's irresistible Well, you can't get him out of your mind You can't, you can't get him off of your head You can't outlive him And you can't live without him Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him But they found out they couldn't stop him Find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Is Jesus your king? He can be. And you can say a prayer just about like this and ask Jesus to be your king. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I recognize that there's so much more to you than just being a ticket puncher so I can go to heaven. You're all that which Dr. Lockridge has described and more. You're incomprehensible. And I recognize that I need you. I need you as my personal savior, but I also need you to walk with me through life's trials and difficulties, to show purpose in my life, to show how I can display your love to other people and all the things we've talked about and more. And I recognize that I can't do all this in my own strength. And so that's why I need you. I need you who accomplished all that work that we talked about, defeating death and Satan because you are Christ the victor. And so I need your forgiveness because of what you did for me on the cross. I confess my sin to you and I ask you to forgive me and to come into my life. I ask for you to walk with me, to start being my guide, my spiritual mentor. I ask you to be the boss of my life. I ask you to, to be the guide. Everything else, the counselor, all that you promised that you would be to me if I would just open my life to you. I need you and I want all of you. And I thank you for doing that. Thank you that you've promised that whosoever believes in you will be saved. And I am a whosoever. Thank you for what you're going to do in my life, Father. I can't wait to share my change with other people so that they can walk with me on this path with Jesus, who's so much more than just my personal Savior. Thank you for the rest of the story and for all the story that's available to me through your word, the Bible. I want to read it more carefully and more often. And I want to hang out with fellow believers because I know now that I'm a member of God's family. Thank you for adopting me. All this I thank you and praise you for in the name of the one who did all this on the cross because of his atonement, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen.